Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. We're concluding our discussion today with John Pabon, and we're going to talk about governance and his new book, The Great Greenwashing. Now, your new book, The Great Greenwashing, great mm. title. Yes. <laughs> is this a positive or a, a less than positive tome? It's sort of both. It depends who's reading the book. If you're a okay. consumer, I, I believe it's quite positive because I'm I'm helping you understand what's going on. If you're a greenwasher, you're probably not going to like it too much because okay. it comes it comes at the greenwashers. So and I, I think it's important that we don't sit back and and let big companies or small companies that are lying continue to do so. We've we've been yeah. letting them do so for a hundred years. You know, you look at the oil and gas industry and and pretending I, I read a tweet today that the three biggest oil companies have put forward their their net zero commitments, which doesn't make any sense because they're oil companies. They can't be net zero unless they put themselves out of business. But people mm. sort of turn a blind eye to this and we let them get away with it. And I think, mm-hmm. we, I think we're way past that. We can't let them continue to get away with this. And it's not as if an oil company is going to shut themselves down. So I'm not trying to do that. I'm not, not as Pollyanna-ish mm. as that. But if you educate consumers on what they can and can't do and open their eyes to when they're being lied to, they can then make a much more informed decision than the, these massive marketing machines are, are forcing them to make. I think that that's an important point for us to emphasize too, is that we, at a gut level, we know if we're being lied to, we know that that can't be true. We know that when you see the great ad that says, you know, we, we've done this for the dolphins, whatever it is, well, I think. Yes, but that's a distraction because what did you do over here that you're not yeah. telling us about? So a, as a, a population, we need to be more responsible in terms of bringing them to task. So that brings us to the governance and the compliance side of things. If we, we go back to Fuliana's example of the construction site, because that's where we worked, the introduction of the bulk health and safety stuff didn't really take hold and catch fire until we started putting signs up that the public could see. Mm. The public said, this company, this site, they've Mm. had this many days without an accident. And if you were driving past, and I know that people who would go past these places every day would say, oh, no, they've had an accident. Oh, no, it's gone back to zero. And Mm. so they they had a perception about the performance of the organisation. And if we can get that message across to the organisations to say your potential employees your stakeholders, your users are now judging you on this level that they're going to be more accountable, but it's still got to tie into what they see as their responsibility as well. So is there a place then, and I know you're going to say yes, is there a place for government at every level? And, you know, you know in this country we are overgoverned completely, mm-hmm. But in terms of government, then we do have to talk about the fact that, that in this country, at least, we have three levels of government. Every level of government has got to take some, some degree of responsibility, not just for the green bins, but for the, the overall, you know, if they're doing a DA on a, on a new organisation that's coming in or a new building that's going up, that there's local stuff, that there's the state level government, there's the, the federal government. How do we get them to work together? on this area you always get the easy you get the easy questions i love it (laughs) so so you're right i am going to say yes (laughs) but it's it's certainly more nuanced than just a just a yes the government especially here in australia is quite interesting when we when we talk about sustainability and since we're we're here we'll talk about australia 
because mm. you do have the different levels of government. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, uh, particularly here in Victoria, the, the government is quite advanced when it comes to the environmental side of things. Mm. Uh, and, and being in what I affectionately call a nanny state. Yes, uh, there, there, there's a lot, <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> of, a lot of government involvement in everything that we do. It, that part is working. The part that I understand, but that we don't talk about as much, is there's also another quasi-government operating, which are the, the businesses that dig things out of the ground, the businesses that are mm-hmm. propping up this economy. So they wield far more power than yeah. Dan Andrews or, or yeah. Perite are going to wield. So yeah. they, they are a quasi-government stakeholder, How, and yeah. they're the ones that need to be dealt with because I don't, I don't have the answer to deal with them. But mm. be, because at the end of the day, they're, they're running places like Western Australia. They're running Queensland. Yeah. The, the premiers are not because yeah. there's too much money involved. So when we start to look at things that way, and, and in, on the positive side, the, the Stop Adani campaign, for example, you still, you mm. still see a lot of that happening. And, and the, the work is great that they did. They, they did stop Adani in a lot of ways and they stopped a lot of the environmental issues that would have would have happened with the mines in Queensland so that that is a positive thing but it does come back to reputation and we've talked about this I think several times now this social license to operate and that could be primarily from the public it could be from government because government also gives you that social license to operate if you know the federal government today was to I don't think I mean, they obviously won't, but if they were to say, okay, Adani, we're shutting down your mind because we don't agree with your environmental and social reputation. Mm-hmm. That's all they have to do, yeah. <laughs> but they're not going to do it. But that's the power that they have if they wanted to, that social license to operate where, where they yeah. can go in and say, you can't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to take somebody putting their neck on the line to do that. We certainly mm-hmm. not here. And I don't think in many countries around the world have that representative just yet i think we don't also have the speed of reaction i heard a a story just recently uh, i'm in the hunter valley in new south wales and we have lake macquarie just just near us and there was a some exploration happening in the lake that they were doing sound depth charges and it's an area of the lake where only one species of seahorse breeds they don't do it anywhere else in the country and the They were at a a local government meeting and the representatives of the organisation said, well, uh, if you want to stop it, you'll have to get it to us in writing and we're starting tomorrow. And they did, you know. So there was just no opportunity for, uh, yes, the the council, local government council was supposed to give them approval, but they didn't know the full extent of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. and, And in the end, they couldn't, they didn't have the speed to react to be able to stop it happening. And because all of that happened in closed environment within the council chambers, the public didn't know. The public still don't know that that's what happened. So it, it's, it's not just about the, the governments being in place, but it's about the speed of reaction, it's the responsibility, and it, it's, as you say, it's someone sticking their neck out and saying, it's not good enough anymore, we have to stop. And there will always be industries and sectors that will not be sustainable right there there are plenty of those that uh, again unless they put themselves out of business they they can't cloak themselves in this veil of sustainability and they they won't go to the the lengths of informing the public about the bad things they're doing because why would they they've spent so much money on on lying to lying to people about how how good they are so they're not going to upend all of that so uh, so i think it's important to really classify them where they are and that's definitely those in the the oil and fossil fuel area 
anything that digs out of the ground. So mining is probably not the, the best of industries. You have defense. And, and I laugh because some of these defense contractors will try to position themselves as sustainable when at the end of the day, you know, their, their job is to kill large populations. So, so not really sustainable yes. and tobacco. So basically any industry where you kill your end user is, is probably not going to be a sustainable one. <laughs> and can I add sugar? Sugar? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But even in talking about the sugar, you know, there, there is a groundswell of people who are not happy with not just the industry, but the way the product is used and how it's introduced and how far it has spread without anyone really addressing the issue. And it's not just the organisations that are producing the sugar or the food or all those sorts of things, but it's the the places we think we would go to for the right information who are being paid by the industry to give us the information that they want us to have that is not responsible. So it's just the whole area of, once again, going back and being responsible for ourselves and then being responsible for the the way the wave goes out. That's exactly right. I I talk a bit in the book about what we call green scamming, which is exactly what you described, where large organisations essentially are paying for other organizations that look like they're doing good, but they're actually lobby groups for, for that particular industry. Uh, again, the oil industry is amazing at doing this. They've been doing it for, for decades, but you see it a lot as well with, with other industries that are trying to throw us all off the scent. I've got a question, and that says more about you. I really admire what you've done so far. It's amazing. You've been at it for so long, and you've done so well across the world pretty much. And at times it must feel like you're hitting your head against a brick wall. How do you keep so engaged, so passionate and keep going when there's so much to do? And a lot of your good work, you wouldn't even see the results for till the future. Absolutely. And thanks for that. That's, that's really nice of you to say. The way I describe myself is a pragmatic altruist. So mm-hmm. uh, again, like we talked about in the beginning, I, I don't go down the activist route. I'm not throwing tomato soup at paintings or gluing my face to the ground. You know, it's, it's not my thing. It's a waste of everybody's time. Yes. But, but I, I, I do care. Obviously, or else I wouldn't do what I do. There has to be a level of altruism in anybody who's foolish enough to take up my profession. So there has to be, has to be that pie in the sky uh, hopefulness. But I approach it very pragmatically. And, and one of the, the ways I do that is to really understand that I can't do everything. To, and that's been a very mm. long road to get to this understanding where <clears throat> I, I think I said it at the beginning, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. I'm only yeah. one person. My, my resources, my sanity are all very finite. Yeah. So I need to focus where I can. And this is my little piece of the universe, the sustainability universe that I've, I've taken up where I will, will sit either in a factory or in a boardroom helping corporations. So that's, that's my part. The hardest part is when you walk outside and you see all the things that you want to do because there's, there's lots and you have to tell yourself no. And then remind yourself that there are millions of other people that are also fighting a good fight. So leave it to them. They'll pick up the slack where you're not able to do it. But where I'm best placed is where I'm offering the the most towards positive impact. And I'd encourage, encourage everybody to, to figure out what that place is, whether it's, you know, where you're, you're happiest, where you're most productive, where your particular skill set fits. If you're well off, congratulations, where you can donate money is also a great place to to help out the world. We need money. So so find wherever that is for you, that little niche and part of the universe and just stay there and and 
give everything within that little spot. That's helped me tremendously to to keep going, even though I'm sure, uh, you know, there's a few walls around the world that have my head printed them. Yes. <laughs> what triggered you? Was it was it an incident that started you on the path or was it just something, just a, a long hill belief that you followed through with? Accidental, actually. Uh, so uh-huh. I, I started off my career at the United Nations. Like you mentioned, that was always the, the goal. It was always my my thing. So I suppose I've always been in kind of that altruist space because even when I left the UN and went into the private sector, it was always with public sector clients. So I, I didn't really give that part up. But when I moved to China, I had to figure out a way to marry all of that public sector experience in an extremely commercial city. So Shanghai is just commercial. Mm-hmm. And I fell into sustainability probably before we were even calling it that. So that marriage of the the public sector work with with helping out business, and that's I suppose the rest is history. So entirely accidental. Uh, but if we're we're on the the psychiatrist's couch, I, I don't have a specific moment in my life that would have triggered me to help out the world. I think it's just been how I've always been. Mm. Yeah. So I, I know that there's obviously a need for a, a grouping of of like minded people so that you can have a bit more group power. Can that be driven by the individuals like yourself or should it come from one of the more global organisations that are already existing? There probably are these groupings and maybe I just don't know about them. My my former employer, BSR, is a good example where they have, it's industry by industry and they're focused on sustainability, but it's not sustainability professionals per se. And a dirty little secret about the sustainability profession, and that includes NGOs as well is there's a lot of infighting. So even though we care about the earth, we yeah. we are always grappling with each other around different viewpoints, different mm. uh, ideas of how to achieve change, finance. So so there's a lot of infighting. So to get us all working together, mm. I'm not sure. And I, I is it the best thing either? Because if we do, then we're probably getting a group together who's just going to be tunnel visioned and all agree with yeah. each other. Yeah, so yeah. that doesn't really yeah, inspire yeah. change either. But no. if we get a bunch of different people in a room that think differently, if I get a mm. extinction rebellion person in a room with me, it's it's not going to go well for either one of us. And we're probably not going to achieve too much because <laughs> we have such differing viewpoints about how we achieve change. So I don't know. I don't know who needs to drive that, but I, I, I am a big fan of, of collaboration and it sounds hokey, but I think it's very important, especially with what we do, because like I said before, the, the yeah. answers are there. They're not, they're not particular to an industry. So we have them. We just need to bank them together. Yeah. And I think in, in terms of the future, I don't think that the conglomerate organizations are the answer. I think it's better to keep individuals and to, to pick and choose because you hear about other groups you hear about so okay we're going into this industry I really do need the end of the world people to deal with this industry and it, you know, they're going to have more power than, than I am or, or more sway or they're going to move them faster and then I can come in and be the good guy you know it's the good guy bad guy situation so I don't have an issue with that but I we have one one other topic that we sent through to you that we would like to cover and it's a, it's a good way to finish the discussion it's about celebrating sustainability in action how do we go about celebrating apart from having a, a good old drink which is how we celebrate anything in this country as you would know by now <laughs> a sustainably sourced gin martini sounds perfect that is a good way to celebrate i think it's it's really around 
looking at the positive and and that sounds so hokey i know it does but i i think unless you do especially in the work that i do it's it's not you're not going to last very long you have to find those little glimmers of hope and right now there is such a push towards this idea of climate doomism and that's where where people essentially have have given up even people in my profession have given up and said it's too far gone forget it there's no point and I think it's because they don't see all the great things that are happening, whether that's at an individual level, at a a private sector level, or even with certain governments are doing great things as well. So we just have to keep those in mind. And like I mentioned a second ago, getting into my my crystal ball, to know that we're already on the, the right path and the virtuous cycle to get us where we're going. Right now, it's difficult. Right now, if you go to a store, you have to make a conscious decision to research and know what you're buying if you want to buy sustainably or, or organic, yeah. and you're going to have to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned, that, that virtuous cycle is going to get us to a point in the not too distant future, you know, maybe 10, 15 years where I go to the shelf and it's all going to be the right choice. I don't need to think about it anymore because- companies aren't going to be around that are making the, that are doing the wrong thing. So, so that's what I'm most hopeful for. And and hopefully that does happen within my lifetime where I'm able to see, see that sort of change. And I think as a hopeful message, I think everybody needs to, to realize that as well, that the idea of doomism is, is heading in the very wrong direction. We are, we've, we've done so much work to get to this point. And from here, the hard work's done, you know, we've, we've run up the hill already. The rest is downhill because it's going to be exponential. It's, it's not going to be linear. So, so I'm just waiting for that to click over. <laughs> and, yeah. and when it does, well, it'll be smooth sailing. John, it has been fascinating listening to yes. you today. And uh, the time has just flown by. I've, I've sort of looked at the clock once and thought, oh, no, I've still got stuff I've got to <laughs> <laughs> So having that in mind, I would like to say that we will ask our listeners what questions they have of you and we'll hook up again maybe after the book, the new book is, is released. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that again later in the year. And we'll have some questions that have come through from our listeners as well that you can address for them things that we thought we should have thought of, but we didn't or we weren't going to ask all that stuff. So we, t- we, talked about, we talked about listening <laughs> to stakeholders. So I'd love, love to do that. All right, John, thanks for your time today. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Pauliana Osborne. We've been talking with John Pavon about sustainability in the workplace and not the sustainability that you think it is this is inside exec